Hey, this is Dan Altman with the Smarter Scout Podcast, The Why in Analytics, a podcast that helps us go deeper down into the fundamental issues that drive our work as analysts in sports, but specifically in soccer or as it's known, association football. And we're really interested in asking the questions that sometimes get ignored when people are passing around different metrics and data. We want to figure out why we make the choices in terms of the questions we ask, the methods that we use to answer them, and the data that we eventually present, and even how we present that data. All of those things are important, and we're going to get into all of those issues. First, we want to say a big thank you for tuning in. We know it's not an easy time right now for everybody, and so we're really grateful that you're spending some of our time with us tonight. Now, to get started, we're just going to ask the most basic question, which is why use data? Why use data in sports? Why use data in football? Well, there are actually several reasons, and not all of them have to do with telling us something that some other input or source of information can't tell us. You know, a lot of times we're just using data to replace tasks that other people are doing and that we can automate to save time. You know, there are a lot of things that video analysts do and scouts do, counting different types of events, watching match after match to look for certain situations, which we can identify pretty well with data. And if we can compile those things with data, it's almost instantaneous versus hours and hours spent watching games either live or on video. And so one of the big reasons to use data, which I don't think gets covered enough, is just to save time, automate certain tasks, and let those people who have a really special form of expertise use that expertise in a better way rather than doing things that are basically repetitive. Another thing we can do with data is take that expertise, which already exists in the sport, and make it more powerful. An example would be if we had a scout who was a really excellent scout in the French leagues, and we always liked the players that the scout recommended, we could say, okay, this person is a diamond. Let's see if we can somehow bring their skill to other leagues. And one thing we might do is we might say, okay, let's see if we can create a sort of data fingerprint for the kinds of players that the scout is digging up and will run that fingerprint through the data, first of all in the French league to see if it picks the same players. And then we can bring that same data fingerprint or an algorithm if you like to other leagues to see which players it would dig up there. Then we go back to our scout and say, okay, why don't you watch some video of the players that this algorithm has now picked up, our data fingerprint, and we can iterate with the scout until the data fingerprint is refined enough to pick the same sorts of players. Well, now we have something fantastic because we can take the scout's expertise to any league around the world where data are available in the same format, and we can find the same sorts of players. Now, it probably won't be the exact same sorts of players, and we won't be able to pick exactly the right players for the scout's tastes, but at least we can filter down that big pool. We're not trying to replace the scout. That scout still can see things that we probably can't see in the data, but we can filter down the pool a lot. So instead of looking at a thousand players in a couple of leagues in other places besides France, we might only be looking at a couple of dozen. So expanding the reach of our data can be really, of our expertise using data can be really important as well. The other thing that is key about both of these uses of data replacing repetitive tasks, and expanding our reach is that they build trust. They're empowering. They show people 
who work in football that data are not scary. Analysis is not a scary thing. It's not a threat. In fact, it's something that can empower them, that can make their expertise even more valuable than it already has been for their club. And this is what we want to do because when we're bringing data analysis into a club, it's usually something very new. You have a lot of really smart people who work in football clubs, uh, and many of them really don't have a quantitative background at all. They may not even have finished a high school education, which is not to say that they're not smart. Many of them are brilliant, but we need to make these tools accessible to them, and we need to make them uh, empowering so that they feel that this is something that is an important part of their daily work and their toolbox. Now, once we've done those things, and we've shown that analysis can be an ally, then we can start to bring in different inputs via data analysis, right? We can start to bring in some objective views on players, on tactics, all the things that go into what we do on the pitch through data. Well, if we're going to use data that way, then we have to make sure that it's part of a rational decision-making process. You know, if we just had data analysis running in the background at our club, and once in a while we would ask the data analyst, what do you think of this player, or what do you think of what we're doing in this game? You know, that is not a very systematic way to use any input into your processes, let alone whether it's data analysis or not. You know, we want to have a process that's routine and consistent so that we're always using the inputs in the same way. If the sporting director wakes up one morning and says, I feel like looking at data on this player, but uh, the, the next morning doesn't want to look at data on another player, that's not rational, that's not objective, it is not going to help us to make better decisions. The most important thing in here is the process. And so we want to treat all of our inputs rigorously. Now, how would we use them? Well, once we decide which inputs are going to go into our process, whether it's coaches and scouts' opinions or, or video analysis, data analysis, we have to decide how we're going to structure it. Are we going to use these inputs simultaneously by sort of saying, okay, everybody give us their view on a player, and if everybody agrees, then we'll take the player? Or are we going to use them in series, like a funnel, for example, where we look at players with data first and narrow them down. Then we look at those players with video analysis and narrow down further. And then we send the live scouts out to watch the players and we narrow down further until we bring them to the sporting director and the coach. You know, that's another way of doing it. But both of these uh, ways of structuring your process have trade-offs. And so we wanna be conscious of those as we put them together. Regardless though, the process will only be as strong as the commitment of every part of that process to rigor. And that means knowing for each input, what are its rates of false positives and false negatives? You know, what are its tendencies? We need to be able to say that there are some likelihoods of errors in each part of that process. You know, it's funny when people start working with data analysis and, and clubs are a little suspect about it and they might say, okay, well, you were right about these players, but you were wrong about this player. Well, you know, scouts sometimes are wrong about players too. So we need to know what the error rates are. How often do they say a player is going to be a star and they turn out to be a dud? How often do they say a player is a dud and later they turn out to be a star? Once we know that, then we can rationally combine these inputs in our decision-making algorithm and we'll have some idea in the long term of how likely it is that we'll be wrong either way. That's really useful because it helps us from a planning perspective too. Now, in choosing the inputs for our algorithm, we really have to take account of costs. And the cost of each of them can be quite different. Data analysis, for example, can have a high upfront cost 
because you typically need to subscribe to data services, especially if you want raw data for many different leagues around the world that can run into the thousands of pounds or euros or dollars. And so that's a fixed cost that you have to pay before you even start looking at players. You also probably need to hire someone who's going to interpret that data for you. So you have to pay them a chunk of money before they've even started looking at players. But once you have that infrastructure in place, it's pretty cheap to look at an additional player, right? The marginal cost of looking at another player once you have all of that in place is just a little bit of time for the analyst. And that's, that's not bad at all. Well, video analysis is a little different. It has a medium-sized fixed cost. Subscription to a, an online video scouting service is usually not that expensive. And though it has a slightly higher marginal cost to look at each additional player because it takes a video analysis, uh, analyst more time to really do a workup on a player. So that's time that the video analyst could have been using to do something else like opposition analysis, especially with a small club that would typically only have one video analyst. Um, you're taking that time away to look at players. So the video analysis has sort of a medium upfront cost and a medium marginal cost. Live scouting, where we send people into the stadium to watch players, has a low fixed cost. After all, you just need to call up a scout. You don't need to give them an office necessarily or anything like that. You don't need to buy some special subscription. You just call up the scout and tell them to go to the game. But the marginal cost is pretty high. right? You have to pay for their travel. You have to pay for their report. Uh, so for each player, if you're looking to watch them over four or five games or even more, that can start to be fairly costly. So we have a spectrum of fixed costs and a spectrum of marginal costs. And depending on what kind of club or organization you're part of, you're going to be able to pick some combination there. You know, data analysis makes the more sense the more players you're looking at, right? Because the average cost is going down and down as you look at more players. Uh, but it also allows you to look at more players. So there's a sort of aspect of reach that goes with it. Live scouting really only has economies of scale when you might be looking at a lot of different players in a given match. And this is where you can see that certain types of organizations might have an advantage, right? Multi-club groups, which we're seeing more and more of, can become scouting monsters. They can invest all those big upfront costs and they get huge economies of scale, right? Because they want to be looking at thousands of players from around the world who operate at different levels because those players could find homes in different clubs in the organizations, which are at different levels as well. And they need to sort through all those players. So, so data really are a must for them, and they can afford to make that investment up front. But also for them, if they go and send a live scout to a match, that scout is probably going to be focused on one or two players, but they might also notice other players who might fit not necessarily for the club they first had in mind, but for other clubs in the group. So they get a lot of mileage out of these different inputs. And there's also room for companies which specialize in scouting, and they'll go and watch a game, and they're watching every player, and they may have different clients at different levels who'd be interested in all, all those different players. But if you're, by contrast, working for a smaller club, you might rely more on video because the upfront cost isn't too bad, and you already have a video analyst in place, and you might do a minimum of, of live scouting. You might be reluctant to make those big upfront investments that allow you to use data the way the multi-club organizations do. But really, that's why we started Smarter Scout in part was to give a low-cost alternative to those high-investment data analysis structures. We wanted to make sure that even smaller clubs could dip their toe into the world of data with a low-cost service that would still cover a lot of leagues. So once you've decided sort of what 
costs are correct for you in terms of the inputs that you're bringing together in this algorithm, then you actually have to figure out how you're going to structure the algorithm. How are you going to make decisions using these inputs? And there you need to take account of costs as well. Because you know, a multi-club group can sign a lot of players and it might actually care more about false negatives than it does about false positives. It might be more angry about missing out on a player who they thought was a dud but turns out to be a star than they would be about signing a player who turns out to be not as great as they thought. Because you know, a player they sign and is not as great as they thought, they could probably find another home for him or her in the organization. But if they miss out on a player who turns out to be a big star, you know, that's exactly the kind of player they always want to be finding. They want to keep tabs on that. And that would suggest to them that there's something wrong with their process. If that's true, then when they bring their inputs together, the data analysis, the video analysis, the opinions of the scouts and coaches and sporting director, you know, when they do that, they might say, well, okay, maybe if two or three out of five say yes, then we should still go for the player, even if a couple say no. But again, contrast that with a small club. Small clubs probably care more about false positives. So when a small club signs a player that they think is gonna be a star, and the player turns out to be a dud, that's a big miss for them. They can't afford to make mistakes like that. So for them, they might want a much more specific algorithm where they say, okay, we have these three or four or five inputs, and they all have to say yes for us to sign the player. Now, we might miss out on some players who turn out to be stars, but that's fine because we're a small club. We only need a smaller number of players, and like we said, we can't afford to make mistakes. So all of those things are going to come together in the construction of our, video, of our algorithm, right? We, we talked about costs in terms of the inputs we choose, and then we also need to think about costs and our overall budget in terms of the way that we make decisions. Now, at no time will I ever suggest that data analysis can, can completely replace video analysis or traditional scouting or any other part of the recruitment process or even the tactical analysis process that already exists inside clubs. You know, the decisions are always going to be stronger when they have diverse inputs. And why would you throw away any source of information? But those sources of information, for them to be valuable, have to be different. They have to occasionally say different things, and we have to be prepared for them to disagree. Because if data analysis could tell us all the same things that, let's say, video analysis could tell us, and there was no difference at all, we wouldn't use both. We would just pick the one that was cheaper or easier to use, right? But we know that we need both because they will tell us different things. And so, as I said, we have to be prepared for them to disagree. And that can cause tension, right? Because in clubs, there's always a big team dynamic and ethos, and we want people to be on the same page. But sometimes these disagreements can be useful because they help us to ask the right questions, right? So we have to build First, that foundation of trust. Then we have to build our rational decision-making algorithm on top of it because then we'll be comfortable having these disagreements. We'll say, okay, we have a good process. We trust each other. We know how our various inputs work. And so when there's a disagreement, that's something that we have to take seriously and we have to investigate. An example that springs to mind for me, a club I was working with quite a while back was looking to bring in a, a striker during the January window and the scouts were quite keen on a striker who was from outside the main European leagues from which this club would usually recruit. Now, a sporting director of the club was actually pretty skeptical because he saw that this particular player had had an earlier stint in one of the European leagues where they did usually recruit, and it had gone poorly. Now, when we looked at the data for this player to try and 
validate what the scouts were saying, it was quite interesting because it suggested that the player's finishing skill had suddenly ticked up in the previous season, that he had been sort of a mediocre finisher for most of his career, and then for the past 12 to 18 months, all of a sudden, he'd been a star finisher, someone that we really would be interested in. And so there were all these things going on that we really needed to figure out. You know, what, why did his data suddenly improve? Why was this a player we should take seriously, even though he had had that poor stint at a club in a league where we would normally recruit? And so we did a background check on the player. I actually commissioned a background check from a journalist who really knew a lot about this particular league where the player was. And it revealed that the player had really had a change of heart. He had revealed he, he had realized some of his errors in the first stint he had, and he had been partying a lot, he'd been drinking, lots of cigarettes, smoking too, and, and he had decided no more of that. You know, he was getting into his peak years, and if he was gonna have another chance in a top league in Europe, he knew he had to clean himself up, and that's what he did. And not Perhaps by coincidence, after he cleaned up his act and applied himself more, he became a better player. His finishing skill really improved. So now he was more mature. He was more focused on his job. He was trying to get another chance to make it at the top. And, and that kind of player, a player who sort of has a mission or a chip on his shoulder, is, is the kind of player that we were interested in. So in the end, we actually came to a consensus that this player had gone on a journey which took him to a place where we would be interested in him. And so we were able to recommend the player for recruitment. But in the end, the top brass at the club did not sanction the move. Uh, so it was getting pretty close to the deadline and they decided not to do it. So you know, we didn't go ahead. But the player did end up in La Liga, which was obviously one of the top five leagues in Europe, if not top three, and, uh, and did just fine there. So you know, we think that we had a good process in that case. Perhaps it came together a little too quickly at the end of the window but this is exactly the sort of debate that you want to have about a player. We saw that the inputs disagreed. We trusted each other enough to engage seriously and try and figure out what was going on. We brought in some additional inputs in terms of that background uh, report or background check on the player. And, and then we were able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So that's what we want to do. But we want to make that a routine process, right? We want to have that, bit, that type of consensus be the product of a routine schedule of meetings and interactions, which are always bringing these inputs together in a rational way so that we have a, a smoothly functioning recruitment machine. Now, that won't always happen, but that's the goal. Thanks a lot for your time today. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. I hope you understand now how we really need to build trust and rationality into our process. Next time, we're going to start talking about the nitty-gritty, the metrics that we use in data analysis for football. So I hope you stick around, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks a lot, and take care.